15, and it's verses 37 to 40. So just a portion of that whole story right before this is when Jesus sends uh, the the disciples to go into the town to get the, the donkey and to bring it back, and it's all to fulfill the prophecy. But then we pick up in verse 37 of Luke's account, and here's what it says in Luke 19, 37 to 40. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all of the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. As some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes you just get like, you get goosebumps just reading that. You're like, what a powerful statement of the Lord Jesus. And so let's just paint that picture again as just a quick reminder of what's actually happening here. Right? So Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. He is approaching Jerusalem. He had just recently risen Lazarus from the dead, and there was a great celebration. He was eating at the home of Mary and Martha, Lazarus' uh, sisters, and they'd invited him for a celebration of what he had done and just um, remembering and rejoicing the fact that their, their brother Lazarus was now alive. And so now Jesus knows that it is the time. The time for what? It is the time for him to be recognized and duly recognized and praised for being the coming Messiah. And that's important because if you remember, as you read through the Gospels, it's important to notice that the whole time Jesus tells his disciples, you know, it's not the right time for people to know that I am the Messiah. He's working miracles for three years. He's teaching them and walking with them and and he's performing miracles and teaching and teaching the crowds. But all along the way, Jesus goes out of his way to tell his followers, his closest disciples, at least this is not the time yet to announce it, right? And so the Roman occupiers, they kind of got a sense, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders had a sense of what was going on. But here is the very first time, just within the last few days of his earthly ministry, that Jesus says, it is time. What is it time for? It's time for really two things to happen. One is that he is to be recognized as the promised Messiah, but also for him to receive the proper worship that is due a king. So those two things we'll look at real quick. So first of all, we see that Jesus all along his his three years of, of earthly ministry with his disciples, he had said, let's keep it on the down low. We're keeping it quiet. It is not the right time. Do you remember when Jesus performed his first miracle where he was? He was with his mother, Mary, and they were at a big party. You remember the problem that they had? I mean, this is a serious problem. They ran out of wine, right? And especially at the time, they didn't drink a lot of water. It was the wine, and they didn't have enough wine. So Jesus' mother, Mary, came to him and said, can you do something about I know you can, but will you do something about this? What was Jesus' first reply? It's not the time. It was not yet the time. Now, of course, God's timing is perfect. 
But as we know as his church, it's always the right time to worship him. We know that. But see, Jesus said it wasn't the right time. And all along his ministry, even performing the other miracles and healing, casting out demons, he wasn't saying it was the time to proclaim him as that true Messiah, as king. But now was the time. So Jesus had risen Lazarus from the dead. They're on the Mount of Olives. And from the Mount of Olives, you can see right into Jerusalem. And so he's then descending down the mountain on his way to enter into the gates of his city, the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. But on his way there, something starts to happen. Praise, spontaneous praise and worship breaks out. Right? And from Psalm 118, which I was just reading, that's what they would have been singing. It was traditional to sing that on the way, especially as the king was coming and they were singing the people of Israel about their coming Messiah. And Jesus is not stopping them because now is the time. So they make their way in and people are singing these songs. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he the king, right? And as they get towards Jerusalem, the religious leaders, here they are again. You just picture Jesus, uh, here we go. You know, he knew what was about to happen, but he's coming and he's not stopping them. And so what it says in our text and reminds us here is that as they're worshiping and as they're finally giving him the worship and praise that is due him as the Messiah, the one that um, was promised by God, the one even in Malachi, remember our study in Malachi, God said, I promise you, I will send the messenger, John the Baptist, and the messenger of the covenant, that's Jesus, because I'm a God of justice, and I will send the one I promised. Just trust and wait. And here he finally is. We were just singing it. Here is our king. and Here is the one. Right? And this is Jesus. So he is not stopping them from worshiping. And so as they approach, these religious leaders, who remember all along the way have been trying to trip him up and catch him in a trap so that they could squash this whole rebellion or revolution as they see it. And here he is responding to them. Because they say very simply, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, they were in the crowd. And they see what's happening. So they pull Jesus aside or they even yell out for everybody to hear. They say, Jesus, rebuke these people. Why? They're basically saying, will you keep them quiet? Will you shut down this great worship concert? Will you shut it down? And what are they implicitly saying? Jesus, you're not the king. You're not the Messiah. They say teacher, they recognize him as a rabbi and teacher, but they say no. Tell your disciples to be quiet, because what they're doing, it's unruly, it's not in order, and they're worshiping you as the king. And so finally, because it was time, Jesus says, I tell you, listen to what he says, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What does that mean? What does that look like in that context? But what does it mean to us? A few things I just want to point out. Because this is such an important part of what happens in the triumphal entry. Because the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees, he's going to deal with the Sadducees so much in this last week. But here the, the Pharisees kind of like, they, they take their very last stand against them and they say, 
Will you tell your followers to stop praising you as king? You're no king. And he basically tells them, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So here's what I take from that. First of all, it in many ways could be a reference. We don't know for sure. But I think one of the best ways to interpret this, to look at it, is that Jesus could be referencing a passage from Habakkuk 2, 9 through 11. I'll put that up on the screen for you. And here's what he says. This is what the prophet Habakkuk was saying. And it says, um, Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. We know throughout Scripture that um, we see that God in His creation cries out in worship to Him, right? Trees and mountains and rocks, they cry out in worship, right? We see it as a great picture that God created for Him to get glory. Is that right? He created the heavens and the earth for His glory. He said it was good. When He creates man, Adam and Eve, He says it is good and He does it for His worship, for His glory. See, we are made to worship Him. So as Jesus enters Jerusalem as the King, he is coming in and he's not stopping that worship. He says, if I, if I even silence these people and their loud shouting and singing, the stones would cry out. Why? Because this is such a monumental event in the history of the world. Everybody needs to know it. Before this, he was saying, it's not the time. It's not the time. Now is the time that he gets recognized as the king that he is the promised Messiah, and that he gets that worship that is due his name. So very possibly he's referring back to these words that the Pharisees would have known very well. And that's why it's important. Because here's what's happening in, that, in those verses in Habakkuk. right? God, through his prophet, is telling people that had, um, people that had uh, gotten gain, like ill-gotten gain from oppressing people, he was calling them out, the Babylonians and others in that passage. And he's saying to those, he's saying, look, those of you, those of you who have gained illegally, who have gained immorally, you will be called out in judgment. And so as Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, even if I quiet them, the stones will cry out because that's what's supposed to happen right now. It's even a way, a call of judgment on the Pharisees to say the stones know what you have been doing, right? The people are worshiping me. You've been trying to suppress me all along and the word of God and God sending his Messiah. You've been trying to suppress it every which way. But he says, the stones know what you've been up to. Because your deeds will be made known. So for those who exploited others for financial gain that God is calling out in Habakkuk, Jesus is calling out with the Pharisees. 
And what is the first thing he does that we read after the triumphal entry when he goes into Jerusalem into the temple? Does he not, we read, over, overturn the tables of the money changers? And those who were selling sacrifices at such high prices, they were scalping is what they were doing. You see, because the whole of Jerusalem was filled with people coming to celebrate the Passover. And so they knew that. So they set up shop in the temple and they were selling. And they were making money hand over fist. And one of the first things Jesus does when He gets in there, He turns it over. What does He say? He say, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And in that meaning worship, because that's what this temple is for. It's all about worship. See, Jesus is saying, now is the time that I get the worship that is due me. That's what God was telling the people in Malachi, and He's telling the people here. And He's saying, let them worship. Because even if I silence them, the stones would have to cry out. And you don't want them to cry out. Because they know exactly, Pharisees, what you've been up to. So perhaps He refers to that. But you know, it's interesting. There are a lot of references throughout the Old and the New Testament to rocks and to stones having significance in people's lives. In Joshua 4, we read about how uh, when God parts the Jordan, then they finally get into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and Joshua says to the the 12 tribes, he says, get the 12 stones and, and make an altar for me. Make a memorial representing what God has done here. And it's those stones that would then represent for future generations a witness to God's miracles. So Jesus had been performing miracle after miracle salvation in and of itself is a great miracle and jesus says these stones will cry out and testify to the great miracle that you see before me but then let's look at it even more personally for us as the church in first peter 2 1 through 9 first peter 2 1 through 9 familiar passage but look at this in the context of what jesus said to the pharisees and the triumphal entry, and he says, if these people are quiet, if I shut them down, even the stones will cry out and worship. Because this is such an important event. History is being made today. Everything changes. For now, the Messiah is recognized. But look at what it says to now the church, what Peter says. First Peter 2, 1-9. through He's telling the church, and that's us today, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So as you come to Him, the living stone, that's Jesus now, who is rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble. A rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. 
And then verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession for what? Look at what he says. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So we are the living stones. Jesus is the living stone with the capital S. The cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the ones that the builders rejected. It's those Pharisees on the triumphal entry representing that. They're saying, Jesus, you're not the king. They're the ones that are rejecting the cornerstone because he has come. He has come to make way. Right? John the Baptist prepared the way and here he is making his triumphal entry into the city of David, his city, where his throne someday will be and he will sit on that throne and reign. Right? We look forward to that. But Jesus is coming in to the city and perhaps even recognizing from Habakkuk and saying that knowing the Pharisees would know it. But look, it is a cry out that even the stones would know it. But then Peter reminds us, he says, look, we're the church, a royal priesthood. We are living stones, being built up. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will. He didn't just do it once. He's continuing to do that as we go and testify. And that's where I want to bring it to now. You know, there's, there's so much that can be said even about the worship that's going on there. There's some that are rejecting the living stone in order to build lives on their own foundations, like the Pharisees. But we are like those stones in that passage in Habakkuk that we know what's happening. And now as the church, we are the ones to testify to that. As the stones were testifying in judgment to those who were receiving um, gain deceitfully, we say, no, this is Jesus, our King. He is the one who has come to bring us back to Him. We were just singing that. So Peter says, we are living stones. If He is the chief cornerstone, we are living stones. But in verse 9, he summarizes it perfectly. And that's the main point for this morning. I want to make sure we get it. He tells us in First Peter 9, he says, you are this chosen people. That you are the royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's you and me. That's us. We need to recognize that. We're God's special possession for this main reason. That we would declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. See, what does it mean to be the living stones? When Jesus said, even if I silence these worshipers, the stones will cry out. What that means for us is, let us not have stones worshiping in our place. Let us not get to that point where the stones have to cry out. We are the ones to give testimony now. We are the living stones. Shouting Hosanna. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. We are to do that not just on Sundays or in this place, but even beyond the walls. There was worship going on as Jesus came into the city. But notice this. The worship began outside of the temple, outside of the city walls and outside the gate. It was right and customary for people to worship in the temple, but this worship was happening outside of those four walls. Is that how our worship is? Do we worship God outside of Sunday morning for an hour? 
we worship God throughout the week? Do we worship God wherever we are? There's a great little book written by Brother Lawrence, who was a monk who lived many years ago, called The Practicing the Presence of God. And he just talks in there about how he was able to find the ability to connect with God, to worship Him, even in the most mundane tasks. And his main task as a monk was to wash dishes. And even in washing dishes, he found ways to praise God, thanking God for the water, thanking God for the privilege to serve others. Do you see? Do we worship God throughout the whole week? Are we living stones testifying to the grace of Jesus Christ? Right? Are we doing that? And that's what we're called to do. Because we are living stones, that royal priesthood, God's own special possession for this reason. To declare the praises of Him. To declare His praises. So there was worship and it was happening outside of the temple. So we are called to worship more than just on Sundays. We are to worship and to testify. We can worship in our car. Did you ever just like sing along and you're singing so loud and you're worshiping the worship music and then you kind of open your eyes, you're at the light and you look and there's people kind of staring at you? What's going on, you know? But the idea is, hey, we're worshiping. And are we ashamed of the gospel? No. We're called to cry out. The people were crying out. Jesus says, he doesn't just say the stones would kind of sing a few little lines from a song or the the stones would kind of just, you know, give a little word, give a quiet testimony. He said the stones would what? Cry out. They would cry out. Why? Because now is the time. See, Jesus was saying now is the time. But what is he saying to us? Now is the time. Tonight is the time. Tomorrow is the time. Tuesday, Wednesday, that's the time to worship God. To worship God in all that we do. So it was happening outside of the city walls. Outside of the temple. And that is good. And we need to do that as well. But also notice the nature of their worship. It was loud. It says that they were shouting. Right? When He came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices and the reason is because they had seen all those miracles don't we have a reason to praise god we have a reason to praise god let us keep that before us all the time as we're reading his word as we're praying as we're encouraging each other it is always before us that truth but look there was two things going on here in their worship first of all it was emotional and that's good who created our emotions god did so when we come before god we can employ our emotions we just don't leave it there you see it can start with our emotions and our emotions can get us filled and we can raise hands or shout or we can even just because our emotions are so overwhelming we can just close our eyes and bow our heads and listen to those singing around us but it's our emotions that can get us there the music why are there crescendos and music and then times when when we get softer there's dynamics in worship and all kinds of music why because it it connects with our emotions, see? But where is it drawing us? It's drawing us to the truth of our reality. The people were shouting, and they were singing really loud. And even the Pharisees were like, hey, this is too disorderly. Let's not do this. Right? This isn't right. We're not in the temple, and you're not the king. Jesus said, we're, 
What did he say to the lady, the Samaritan woman at the well? He goes, there's a time coming, and now it's here, when people won't worship either in Jerusalem or the mountain. Right? Why? Because we are the temple now. We can worship wherever we go. Praise God for that. Because we are the living stones, and we're going to cry out. That's our call right now. That's our call until Christ returns for us. We are called to be living stones, worshiping Him. They were loud. They were shouting. Their emotions were in full force. Definitely a part of their worship. But then it was going even deeper. Why? Because they were recognizing the truth of their situation, that He is the King. Now we know many of them fell away because what happened just a few days later, most of that same crowd went from saying, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, to crucify Him. Give us Barabbas instead. Was there a remnant? Yes, I believe there was a remnant who believed it. But most of that same crowd. But regardless, Jesus says this has to happen. Openly, publicly, and it's okay to sing loud and to shout and rejoice. Right? And that's good. Their emotions. Their emotions were in it. They were worshiping. They had their palm branches. Then they were laying them down. It was like rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. Their cloaks, their palm branches to make way for the King. We talked last week about preparing the way of the Lord. How are we preparing to worship God in heaven, but by worshiping Him now? So we do it not only on Sundays, but outside these four walls. We do it singing with our emotions. Loud and shouting is good. But we also do it recognizing the truth of the words that we're singing. As they were singing from Psalm 118, which I read earlier, they knew the truth of it. So that truth was sinking deep. They were giving God their praise. And finally, about their worship, it was joyful. It wasn't just happy on the outside. It wasn't just that kind of Sunday morning face. How are you, brother? How are you, sister? I'm great. Maybe you are great, and that's good. You should say that. But we know the difference between happiness and joy, right? Nothing can take that joy from us that we have in the Lord. Joy is not based on our circumstances. But see, their worship had a sense of joy. There was joyfulness. The Pharisees wanted to shut that down and silence it. And Jesus says, no, my people will praise me. I will be praised with joyful shouting. So church, let not let the rocks cry out for us. For we are made to worship We are the vessels made to praise. If He wanted to, He could make those rocks cry out. But He created us to do just that. He created us to worship Him in every way. And it's not just through song. We talk about that a lot. It's the way that we surrender our lives to Him each and every day. Because worship is simply our response to His goodness. It says in our passage, the people were responding to the miracles. They began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Why? For all the miracles they had seen. Has not God worked a miracle in your life? By saving you by grace through faith in Christ and in Christ alone? That is cause for us to joy, to be joyful and to rejoice. The last passage I'll just share briefly before we close. Hebrews 13. 15. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, 
let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. If we don't do it, the rocks will cry out. But God created us to do that. So therefore, through Jesus, we are to continually, continually, that's an important word, continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Because it's the fruit of lips that praise Him quietly? No. That praise Him openly. And we openly profess His name. Just think about that. Take a moment to reflect on that. Are you openly professing the name of Jesus? The name you have taken upon yourself as Christian, as Christ follower? What does your worship look like before God and before others? You know, there will be people that will join us next Sunday that perhaps don't have a church home or don't come out to church very often, maybe once or twice a year. And they are welcome. They are more than welcome. But as a church family, and I speak to those who are here every week and have been a part of this church family at Trinity, what will they see next week? Will they see a church worshiping and praising and shouting and glorifying God because of all the miracles that He has done? Will they see worshipers worshiping Him in spirit and in truth with their emotions just driving them but then captivated? by the truth of the words that we sing. For we are to continually and openly profess the name of Jesus. All of history has pointed towards this monumental event. And Jesus is saying, now is the time for the Messiah to be recognized and welcomed as King. We also know that this is important. That Jesus, when He came first, His first advent... Right, 2,000 years ago, of which we read now and remember. He came bringing peace. He came bringing salvation. He came and He brought it because of Himself, what He would do in just a few short days. And so now, until He returns, we are the beacon. The church is the beacon of light and hope and peace for a broken and hopeless world. We are the ones. We are the living stones. Because when Jesus returns, He will come back for His church. We call that the rapture. And we'll meet, I said it last week, we'll meet with Him in the clouds and that's our glorious hope, church, and we look forward to that. But then after a terrible time of tribulation, when Jesus returns, we call His second advent, He comes as judge. He comes to judge. And He comes to inaugurate His kingdom. See, He was entering as king. But then what happened? They put him to death. But he did rise again. We celebrate that next Sunday. Defeating death. Because there is that one stone that did cry out. Did it not? It was that stone that rolled away. So next Sunday, we look at that one stone. The significance of just that stone that guarded the tomb. That it says... And the resurrection story was rolled away. Think about it. Why was that stone rolled away? What was the purpose of that? But in a way, that was the most significant stone that would cry out the message of salvation and the message of life. 
Because when that stone rolled away, the disciples looked in. He is not here. The angel sitting on top of the stone. Why are you looking for him? He is not here. Why? He is risen. So we recognize the importance of Jesus saying, Look, I am not going to silence them, but even if I did, the stones would cry out. They would give testimony to the Pharisees, deceitfulness, a word of judgment, but He gives testimony to Him. The stones cry out. We are the living stones, church. We are the ones that are to cry out, openly professing the name of Jesus, shouting, giving praises to Him, and not just inside these walls or in the temple. That worship happened way before they got in. And let our worship be happening on Sunday mornings, even before you get to this place, or all throughout the week. Giving God His glory. For we are the ones that Jesus calls now to be testimony to His goodness and His grace. We say amen to that? Amen.